This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show. We have big ambitions, right? I think we wanted to really think about this as the best materials to do the best job. But what was really fun is when we really get recurring business, where we knew that that's nice. We can count the cash flow from there. And, and this kind of success, uh, it's very important for going to market because it, it is almost like a, a booster pill for the team, right? Well, so I, I think having a revenue-focused mindset and creating value for customer, because only when you create value, they will keep coming back. If you don't create value, they will find somewhere else. So that, that first recurring revenue was really, I would say, one of the milestones for the company. And that happened somewhat in uh, 2020. We have a fully built wet chemistry lab that gives us a, a wide range of capabilities to synthesize molecular and nanomaterials. So if there are partners out there, novel materials out there that want to look for a scale-up partner, please ring us up. We're happy to explore with you. But we also build it such that we don't just make the materials. We do surface engineering, we formulate them, we disperse them, we get them into flumes, we get them into inks and the form factor where customers could sample. So you could think of it as almost like a MVP or like a prototyping lab for materials or nanomaterials where you can functionalize it into a finished form factor. Today, we have Jax Lee on the show. I first met Jax in passing pre-pandemic. He had just started Nanolumi and was engaging with me at Emory at the time on a tee-up candidate to help the startup. Four years on, our paths crossed again for One North Stories. Jax met his two co-founders who were developing perovskite nanocrystal technology at NUS. Together, they founded Nanolumi, a material science company focused on luminescence. Jack shares about his early career, getting in startup reps as an early hire, and then finding the right opportunity to be a co-founder himself, and then working to grow the company organically and through strategic opportunities. Today, the company has multiple product lines, delivering both off-the-shelf and custom solutions to their customers, with a current focus on supply chain security and product authentication. Think, are you getting an authentic good or a counterfeit, plus biosensing and bioimaging? Additionally, given their extensive expertise and on-premises labs, they can function as a sort of nanomaterials MVP studio, minimum viable product studio, for anyone looking to raise a TRL of their ideas too. Enjoy the interview. Hello and welcome to One North Stories. Today we are with Jax Lee, CEO, co-founder of Nanolumi. Welcome to One North Stories, Jax. Hi everybody, I'm Jax. Um, very happy to be on the show and uh, look forward to this conversation. Okay, great. We always start out with your background. So could you share a little bit of your background, interests in science, technology, entrepreneurship, and experiences prior to Nanolumi? Uh, that, that's a lot. That's probably going to take like the whole show, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, let, let me start off with my, my background. So I did my chemical engineering uh, degree with uh, NUS a uh, long time ago. And I uh, was very fortunate. I think during the chemical engineering program, I partake in the organizing a business plan competition called Startup at Singapore. That was the only business plan competition in Singapore back then, more than 15 years ago now. And uh, that really seeded the entrepreneurship trajectory for me. 
And thereafter, I was also fortunate to went on the prestigious NOC program in Silicon Valley to work for a nanomaterials startup company for a year. And that further my interest in entrepreneurship as well as setting the path on nanotechnology. I would say that is the, really the start. And thereafter, I've been in the startup trenches for around 15 years now. Okay. So I've worked on like early stage uh, tech transfer, product innovation, scale up, setting up greenfield manufacturing lines, and mainly in the areas of nanomaterials, photovoltaics, hybrid printer electronics, like touch sensors, and energy storage. And most recently, product authentication and bioimaging. So I would say in, in essence, I've always been in a confluence between R&D teams, manufacturing ops teams, business development, sales teams, as well as external facing functions where I'm supposed to foster partnerships, collaborations, strategically laying out the path for revenue. Okay. So all this prior to Nanolumi, I mean, it's a very common thread. Were you always into chemistry from the beginning or did you have any, let's say, first technical love even before chemistry? A good, great question. So you always remember your first love. <laughs> so I would say I've always been interested in science and tech as a young kid, terrible at language. So always uh, at a borderline failing for my English classes. And, but I think the, the first technical love is really, I would say, the first transition into work life. And that will be really the cross between my background on nanotechnology as well as my love for the environment. So I embarked on a journey where I was working in setting up a greenfield manufacturing line on Timflum photovoltaics. So combining the knowledge on chemical processing, nanotechnology, as well as doing something that has an impact on environment. Okay, great. So you were out of NUS in these startups, but well, I was fair to say not your own startup. Mm -hmm. So you incorporated Nanolumi, I believe, 2018. Mm -hmm. So what led you through the path of, let's say, being a, a member of a startup to then saying, I want to do my own startup? Yeah. I think what was very fortunate for me is whenever I was always joining a company in the, as operator, startup operator for the past 15 years, minus five, uh, that is Nanolumi, the bosses were all very uh, understanding. And I always express my interest to actually start up on my own. And that has never deterred them. In fact, that makes them give you more responsibility <laughs> <laughs> so that you can do more. And uh, I treat it like my own startup, even though someone is paying the school fees, right? And yeah. building the scar tissues. So that has helped me a lot. And of course, I've always been in material startup and that has really been difficult. Advanced materials. I never thought I would actually find, found a company again on advanced materials, but somehow or other, in five years ago, I went on this path again, and the rest is history. Okay, so how did you get the idea for Nanolumi? I mean, I understand you have a couple co-founders through, I believe, NUS. So how did you guys meet and then decide to start up to form Nanolumi? Yeah, so in fact, the story of Nanolumi when it was founded, I was, as shared just now, contemplating whether I should embark in on advanced materials because I know how complex, how difficult it is to actually get a company off the ground, right? That's the reality. I don't want to be just optimistic about things, but I certainly have a little bit of scar tissues on how to navigate some of the potholes. So I was actually in between jobs after a three-month sabbatical in Central America, Latin America, back to Singapore. And I'm like thinking, in Singapore, there must be gems out there right, in our local ecosystem. We spend so much money, right, on R&D yeah. from A-star to university. And I was sort of consulting and also sort of acting as mentors for some of the programs like Lean Launchpad. So I met the team at Lean Launchpad as a mentor where they were trying to commercialize a technology, which is the preform of Nanolumi on Perovskite Nanocrystal. And I really like the team. I really like the... Uh, postdoc that was working on the project as well as a, a professor that was working on the project and they became the co-founders of the company. Uh, from a mentor, I decided to commercialize the technology and jump into the deep end of the pool again. Okay, fantastic. Just remind us, remind our audience, Lean Launchpad, what is that? Is it, is it still around or some other form? 
Uh, yes, yes, yeah, good question. So, so Lean Launchpad was mirrored with the US approach in National Science Foundation to really bring deep technology to give it a chance to find product market fit as well as to validate the technology for commercial fit before investing more money in it. So Singapore had a model, but it was started by Professor Wong Pokam. I think a lot of people in the startup world knows him as he also championed the NOC program. And NUS was the main entity that was running it, but it also has spokes where it's kind of transpired where there are programs running in NTU and uh, other university. Now, I think it has been around for some time. It has uh, a new form factor, I would say, but improved and better. So NTU is actually running Lean Launchpad 2.0. And I think it's great that a lot more thought, a lot more organization is thought through on how to segment the program such that it is more meaningful for technology readiness at different levels. Yeah. So it's still around. Look that up if you are <laughs> thinking about engaging and jumping into commercializing your deep tech technology. Okay, fantastic. Your co-founders, are they still directly involved in Nanolumi? Or what's their capacity? Mm. Uh, so Nanolumi was founded by three of us. So Professor Tan Chi Kuang, he is a chemistry professor in the uh, US, National University of Singapore, and he acts as our scientific advisor, not involved in the day-to-day, -day, but still an important cheerleader and advisory on the scientific side. The other co-founder is Dr. Wong Ying-Chie. Ying-Chie was a postdoc in Chikwang's lab, so he decided to join the company, and that is almost mandatory. mandatory. Uh, without him, I will not start a company. <laughs> Uh, so, so he jumped uh, over to the dark side five years ago and uh, now he heads up our R&D activities and uh, I think he can't go back to academic after, <laughs> after tasting the, the commercial side of things. Yeah. It, so it has its pains, but also it is fun. Yeah. Okay, great. And when you guys, when the three of you spun out formally Nanolumi five years ago, what were the goals and missions that, that you set out? And are you still on the same track or kind of, you know, pivoted a little bit? Or a lot? Yeah, uh, great question. So, so I think uh, we, we started off really thinking about what do we see Nanolumi as? And I think back then, probably four years ago, we did a sort of like a retreat and we're in sprint. And we stated out that we wanted to be a leading provider of advanced luminescence material. That was it. And are we on the same track? I would say largely so. It's probably the same but wider and almost like parallel highways or freeways that are intercrossing as well, if I have to describe it in a, in a visual form. So not just one path, but more paths has emerged and they are crossing uh, between each other because of the cross-pollination of our technology as well as the cross-pollination on different business verticals. So has there been any pivots? I would say mostly it's more of not so much pivots, but more of seeing what we should put more resources on. So these are mostly driven by customer pool. So we have certain verticals that customer pool is a lot stronger. Yeah. So we, of course, prioritize those a little bit more and resource them to allow them to prosper. Okay. And so we're here uh, at One North, but not necessarily low-rise. JTC startup part of One North. So I understand you, you moved to this new space 2022. So congratulations on growing the company to mm -hmm. yeah have a big space or bigger space. I mean, some companies will call this small, but for a startup, it's sizable. Yeah, so how big is Nanolumi right now? Um, so, so Nanolumi is about 18 employees. So the size of the area is almost 7,000 per square feet. So we are... In some way, like you said, we are spoiled for space. Yeah. We didn't expect such a big space, but we thought we needed it and the opportunity arises. So we make that. That just means we need to work harder to fill it into the space to make it uh, worthwhile. We really like this, this, this space uh, with regards to the proximity on the One North area, the vibrancy, uh, the proximity to Block 71 area, the proximity to A-Star, the proximity to NUS. So while we are not really in the Block 71 area, which we have, we were considering heavily before moving to this location on 28 uh, Araja Crescent. I would say uh, this space is also a little bit further away from the bus. So <laughs> it can give us a calm mind, hopefully, 
to work and we need when we need a bus, we head over to Timber. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> excellent. Just curious, I mean, you guys are advanced materials, so a lot of hands-on. Do you have any, let's say, remote employees or overseas employees or everyone's kind of hands-on in the lab type? I would say majority of the team members of NanoLumi is really the hands-on folks, right? That is playing with the technology, synthesizing material, converting them into meaningful applications. We do have some satellite employees in Korea, in Taiwan, and China to help with some of the local liaising of the activities because it's just more efficient yep. at place there, but not really doing the chemistry and the nanomaterials. So we only have one place and this is it. So we had our little garage before this. It's about one-fifth the size. Yeah, so this is, uh, has, been, has been a great place for uh, about a year right now for us to really be taken seriously. Okay. Yeah. Well, taken seriously, I mean, let's pivot to your technology and, and why people would engage with you. Um, so you guys started with uh, perovskite nanocrystal technology. Can you share a little bit about what is that and what's the feature? What was the application space? That, that kind of convinced you to join the, the two others to, to start up NanoLumi and then push the technology forward. Great. So perovskite nanotechnology or perovskite technology uh, in general has been a very hot space for journals and academic uh, due to the nature of the materials. So perovskite nanocrystals are nanocrystals that are highly tunable, extremely easy to synthesize, and has great spectra purity, uniqueness, efficiency, optical density, and tunability, if I've not said that. But I, I think to take a step back, I think to help the audience kind of understand, not, it's, it's a mouthful, right? Perovskite, it's difficult to spell already. I would say that was the start of the founding of NanoLumi. But as, as NanoLumi has progressed, we have evolved and take a, taken a higher, broader rank of materials. And this would be advanced luminescence material, right? We've been it. And perovskite nanocrystal is one type of material yes. within advanced luminescence material. So to have the audience again understand what is luminescence and what is nano, I think what is helpful is a lot of people is always think when we say luminescence, they will think of glow in the dark or persistent luminescence, we call it. But Luminescence, it's also fluorescent. And luminescence, in essence, if we define it, is how do you create light other than using a heat source? So there's many ways of luminescence, right? There is bioluminescence, like your firefly. There is chemiluminescence, like your light sticks, glow-in-the-light yeah. light sticks. There is phosphorescence, like your glow-in-the-dark paint. Or safety signs, there are, of course, fluorescence as part of luminescence, like your white LED lights that we are sitting under right now that has a yellow phosphor that converts blue LEDs, blue LEDs to a white light source. And fluorescent is also everywhere. It's in your bank notes, in your display screens, in your kids' paint, and under the black light, right, where you might have seen those invisible paint or neon paint. There is also electroluminescence, where we have it in our mobile phones, where electrons are pumped into the, the materials to emit light, like OLED screens. So that's luminescence. Okay. So we work on advanced clusters of luminescence material that are highly tunable with unique spectra signature and it encompasses perovskite nanocrystals as well as quantum dots as well as novel molecular technology. So, this, so that's quite a lot. So, so nano, right? I think uh, technology has been talked about a lot for, for years now. So to, to help uh, a, a layman understand, I think uh, one way to visualize nano in terms of the size aspect, it's about um, 10,000, right, of uh, the width, uh, uh, 10,000th of the width of the hair. Uh, so that's where kind of uh, nanoscale reside. And it's uh, somewhere between a DNA width and a virus. Okay. So that's about, about the size, right? So it's important to understand that because if you are around the size of that, you might be able to tag DNAs, you might be able to tag virus. So that could be very useful for bioimaging. Sorry, I, I didn't really answer perovskite nanocrystals technology, but I sort of wanted to give the audience a little bit of background, what is luminescence and what is nanotechnology. So we operate in these two space with a range of materials that are unique. Okay, great. So then, I mean, just curious, as, as you've developed and matured your technology, 
what you said, you know, there's a lot of, let's say, background IPs on that. So kind of how do you decide your, let's say, unique playing space for Nanoluma, your innovation space, and how you can protect also the work that you do through IP, either through, let's say, licensing in and building on or building your core foundational IP? Yep. So for us, we have, when you asked me how big is Nanolumia, I was thinking, is it how big is our ambitions? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we have big ambitions, right? Uh, so I think we wanted to really think about this as the best materials to do the best job. So with applications in mind. So when we have applications in mind, you don't want to fixate yourself to one type of materials. Yes. You want to have as broad understanding on the landscape as much as possible. Some of these capabilities, you can have it in-house. And of course, there's the ideal state. You might control the whole, have a good controlling point on the intellectual property. But in some cases, you have to cross-license or acquire or even partner with partners, right, to achieve that. Again, the goal is to use the best material that has the best chance to deliver the best value in terms of the desired application. So that has always been our focus point based on materials, but not fixated and falling in love with our materials only. So that shapes our IP strategy. We, of course, have a few core IP that we license, materials IP or foundational IPs from the university or working with research institutes like ASTAR. But as a company, we pay a lot more attention onto applications. And the IP shapes from purely patterns to know-how, trade secrets, unique infrastructures, trademarks, copyrights, things like that, right? Okay. So it's really a, a myriad of uh, intellectual property that gives us that defensive mode. Okay, I, I, I like that. I mean, best material for the job. If that's in your quiver, great. If you need to expand your quiver, yep. you go expand the quiver. Absolutely. Um, can we talk briefly about your, your two um, current, let's say, emphasis product lines, application areas you have? Rail, I, am I saying that correct? Yes, um, perfect, perfect. Yeah. Rail uh, for, for product authentication and then Luminacell for, for bioimaging. Yeah, talk, talk us briefly through these two. Sure. So product authentication or supply chain assurance has been around for a long time, right? As I mentioned just now, you see certain fluorescent inks in your banknotes, in your checkbooks, in your passports, in your ID cards. So we, since we are in the space of advanced luminescence material, we thought, why don't we rethink this problem and use new materials, use new integration methods to make it more convenient, more broad use cases and cost-effective to let product authentication that is highly secured goes into more audience. So this really started off not at the founding of Nanolumi. This was actually a customer request. And we thought about it. We were like, this is a big problem. This is a meaningful problem. And we can leverage our unique access to chemistry, materials, optics, and software to pull this off. So we took the plunge and we did that. That was 2019. That was okay. the, the first year of Nanolumi yeah. founding where we were working on perovskite nanocrystal materials for display. So we thought this was interesting and this started off as a skunk works kind of commercial projects. And we have a lot of this kind of skunk works uh, commercial project. So it started off with that and then boom, right? Uh, now it's actually our main vertical is driving our business and we are developing more and more unique solutions based on novel materials and optical design to allow products to be authenticated. I think uh, the world really needs a... So it's end-to-end -end complete solution from materials, unique materials, we call it rare signature, to a very advanced reader to analyze, and also a rare suite that gives data and analytics. So it's a complete solution end-to-end. -end. So it marks label products to inks for on product to materials that are put in plastics as well as even materials that are put into like fewer products. So there is labels, on product and in product. So we cover all of that. Uh, but our sweet spot is really in on and in product. Uh, that's our business vertical, Raya. And a little fun note, Raya, if you read it fast, it's like real. And if you reverse it, it's layer, L-A-Y-E-R. So we believe in creating a hidden Layer, uh, layer in the product. Was that deliberate in your in your branding? Very deliberate. Okay. <laughs> so so I don't know what we were drinking back then to be so creative on the marketing. I still love it. Like when I think about it. Yeah. So 
Yeah, so, so credit to the marketing team and I don't know who thought of it. I'll claim credit. I probably have <laughs> some contribution. <laughs> yeah. And the other areas that we really focus on is in bioimaging. So we acquired an entity called Luminicell as a wholly owned subsidiary late last year, also around the same time as we move into the facility. Uh, so Luminicell is co-founded by Professor Lubin from NUS. And, you know, sometimes they always say when you look back, you start to see how the dots connect. So I was doing my final year project with her when I was undergrad and, and also at ASTAR. And then we maintained connections. And when she shared with me about Luminicell, I thought it fits uh, perfectly into our space. We know luminescence material. We don't have organic-based material. And we like the portfolio where it has very unique organic materials that operates differently. Usually organic materials quench, but in this case, the organic materials, when they aggregate, in this case, the organic materials get emissive when they aggregate. And the technology portfolio has a beautiful way of wrapping lipids to make it biocompatible. So we like that a lot. Again, it's, just, it's a little bit too technical here, but the easy way to imagine it is your mRNA vaccine with lipid encapsulation, but in the middle, it's not your mRNA. It's actually a fluorophore which is like a fluorescent label that allows you to mark things yep. in a very biocompatible, non-toxic, extremely bright and long-standing capabilities. So, so we like that platform because it cross-pollinate technology possibility for our other verticals. And individually, this product, lipid nanoparticles loaded with fluorophores are fantastic in bioimaging space. So we hope we can do something there to help researchers speed up their research whether is it stem cells therapies, cancer research, immunotherapies, or drug discovery. Uh, so, so we are not at that forefront of developing those therapies, but we hope this will be a very efficient tool and help a large audience and researchers to speed up on what they're doing. And hope, hopefully that has an exponential effect. Okay, great. So you mentioned, I mean, you acquired the company Luminacell. I imagine that that takes some sort of maturity and foresight and to yeah, do the due diligence and acquire the company. Can you talk us through that process? You know, how did you know that Nanolumi, I say, was ready to kind of grow through acquisition beyond just organic growth? I think for this, when we decided to acquire it, we are really looking at the synergistic possibilities. Not so much on, you know, like we are at a certain maturity and we want to grow by inorganic means, right? We really look at that standpoint, uh, Luminacell has a rather polished technology and there is huge market potential that is untapped. It's almost like an unpolished gem, we okay. like to see it. So, and for us, it's easier to see from our viewpoints because we have synergistic element of merging in some of the technology capabilities. But also because we already understand optics, we already understand luminescence material, we also synthesize them and we can synthesize them. We have the infrastructure. So it makes a lot of sense. So for us, integration of the technology is easier. Understanding how it works is easier. Taking the technology and applying it on application areas that are non-bio-related is easier uh, for us. Uh, so that was, and of course, with the blessing of the existing shareholders of Luminicell to really fit into a much larger umbrella of advanced luminescence material, which now I think we can say we are probably one of the companies in the world that has a huge collection of inorganic and organic luminescence material that are not so common. It's probably at the forefront of technology. So this gives us, again, more two sets to pick the best product for the best job. You mentioned working with and then keeping in touch with Professor Lubin from NUS. Could you talk to us a, a little bit about maybe on ongoing research partnerships? I mean, anything you could talk about without, you know, violating NDAs. Uh, and, and then also in general, the value you find, you know, in, in working with the, the local R&D ecosystem, either ASTAR, the universities or, you know, others. Okay. Um, so let's take take it back to the start of the memory lane. So I really had a chance to interact with, I was fortunate after the NOC program, after working a year with industrial scientists, startups that are super high paced, super intelligent people from all over the world in, in California, right? So, and working on nanomaterials. I went back, fourth year, I had to do my final year project. 
I want to find a professor that is working on things that are related to meaningful applications like photovoltaics. And of course, I signed myself up for the final year project in uh, Prof. Dubin's lab. And I was asked to be posted in IMRE, okay. which I believe Ruben, you were from. <laughs> so, yes. so in NUS, when IMRE was still in NUS, right? Now yeah. it's an industry 4.0 kind of building in, in NUS. So, so there was that building. So I was, I was asked to go there to work with IMRE scientists and had a chance to really see how NUS, IMRE, kind of like uh, research institute, organization, and knowing the people there. And of course, comparing that with that one year of industrial stint in a startup in Silicon Valley. So of course, that gives me a lot of conflicting emotions, <laughs> I would call it, because it's very different world and different considerations. I would not say good or bad, it's different, it's depending on the perspective. Uh, but that is really the start where I realized that I could work with all three from the university to Research Institute, as well as the industry or startups. Understanding, having empathy on and understanding from the other viewpoint, whether it's KPIs or motivations or capabilities, I think that's important. So, so external partnerships for Nanolumi has been really important. We strongly believe in that and we continuously practice that. So despite being a small company, we are taking on projects that are probably much larger than a small company could take. So even companies that are 10 times, 100 times our size, we'll probably think twice before taking them on. But how do we de-risk it and how do we allow it to have still a good probability of success is really through the partnership in the ecosystem. This could be technology pipelines, research collaboration with the university, not just N NUS, right? There is also NTU and a few other universities and also having ongoing kind of research collaboration with ASTAR. So we have all of this. And of course, we also tap on talent support schemes like TRP before. Okay. Um, so we have really nice talents from ASTAR that is seconded to the company and it brings us new capabilities. So this allows us to have a very rich I would say innovation or technology pipeline without breaking the bank. Yes, yes. I can imagine. I mean, I, I was going to ask how you balance your immediate customer needs and, and keeping the, the pipeline fresh. But I think you've talked about leveraging the partnerships to, to be able to do both. Yeah, I, I think near-term customers are always important. These days, suddenly, all the startups realize that revenue is important. I thought that was always <laughs> important for business, but suddenly it become very important <laughs> in the funding winter. Uh, but for us, on day one, we are already thinking about that. So there's no difference. Uh, but for sure, right? Uh, there is always a balance of short-term projects that you need to deliver and scale and start selling. Uh, but for us, we are, I would say, inventors, innovators at heart. Most of the crazy folks that decided to jump on the bandwagon in NanoLumi. So we need to continue to have that innovation fire in the belly. And we are never afraid of uh, trying out new things and planting the seed for a little bit on the future. But yet, we have to balance, right? To get some of the near-term opportunities seized, but always not forgetting that we can plant the seed for the three years and more kind of opportunities. And those are typically more favorable to be structured as paid development projects if there are yeah. customer needs so that it de-risk de the, the, the resource burden. But the shorter term projects, sometimes we will just take on the innovation and the cost ourselves, right? So, and develop it and own it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so you mentioned, I mean, revenue is important. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you remember your first deal? I mean, so I, I want to talk a little bit about getting to market. <laughs> and anything you could share about your, your first deal or two? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I'm, I'm thinking, what is actually our first invoice? <laughs> that's a good, that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't know, it's a bit hazy, but I would say we, we really started off making materials that enable white color gamut and bright display. So I think we got our first sizable, uh, PO invoice to a Taiwanese display company. So we, we know we needed to work very closely with the end user here. And that is always a very good signal on this is important to them because people will respect the product a little bit more when they start paying for it. Yes. Yeah. So, and we know there's value, right? And they pay and they continue to pay. 
So in the early stage of the company, where we were focusing a lot on displays, this company has been great. They have consistently coming back and asking us to further develop. So this gives us a good signal that it's important for them. And this are in the form of more development agreements rather than recurring revenue. But what was really exciting for us is when we had, so if I bind the, the type, if I have to quantify, one is development project, which is more lumpy, not so recurring, it's project-based. But what was really fun is when we really get recurring business, where we knew that that's nice. We can count the cash flow yes. <laughs> from there. That, that it is comes every like, month or every yeah, quarter. That, or, or every quarter or something like that, right? So there's some visibility. And, and this kind of success, uh, it's very important for going to market because it, it is almost like a, a booster pill for the team, right? Uh, where we are constantly going through the trout of sorrow in the startup death valley, or you would call it, right? So a little bit of this kind of motivation, like a customer is actually valuing your product and paying for it, it goes a long way, I feel. And it's, it's almost like addiction for salespeople. They want to sell more, right? Uh, if the attitude is uh, aggressive sales, right? Which is great, right, for business. So I, I think having a revenue-focused mindset and creating value for customer, because only when you create value, they will keep coming back. If you don't create value, they will find somewhere else, yeah. right, to buy the product. So, so, so that, that first recurring revenue was really, I would say, one of the milestones for the company. And that happened somewhat in uh, 2020. Okay. Yeah. So just curious, I mean, you're in this new facility or a year old facility. Do you do all your manufacturing in-house? I know when you showed me around, you do have significant capabilities here. But let's say, does a customer ever say, I want more material than you can provide? And you kind of then, you know, yes, provide some baseline quantity, but then let's say transfer some of the manufacturing to one of their facilities. Um, yeah, I, I didn't actually share what we have here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to do that. So, so we have a fully built wet chemistry lab that gives us a, a wide range of capabilities to synthesize molecular and nanomaterials. So if there are partners out there, novel materials out there that want to look for a scale-up partner, please ring us up. We're happy to explore with you. But we also build it such that we don't just make the materials. We do surface engineering, we formulate them, we disperse them, we get them into flumes, we get them into inks, and uh, the form factor where customers could sample. So you could think of it as almost like a MVP or like a prototyping lab for materials where, or nanomaterials where you can functionalize it into a finished form factor. So we have a lot of that. And what's more important is we don't want to cover our eyes and cover our ears when we develop product. So we also have uh, a full facility to stress test. Yeah. Uh, we call that our torture chambers. So we want to torture our product to know whether it will be fit for use in the application. Um, so we also have capabilities to do uh, stress tests. So this allows us to complete the product development loop under one roof. So our space allows us to actually make quite a bit of materials because when we do nanomaterial synthesis, a little can do a lot in terms of the end output. But having said that, there are use cases where we have supply chain partners or manufacturing partners that does contract manufacturing for us does certain product manufacturing for us to increase our capacity without increase a lot of capex. Yes. Right. So that is really a supply chain question, right? When you do contract manufacturing, will you risk losing certain control? What is an exchange in terms of time and space, right? So if you have unlimited capital, do everything in-house. And if you have full utilization, then it makes sense. But if you have limited utilization at the start, it might be better to work with very selected, good partners that could help you with contract manufacturing. So we do that. So this actually allows us to provide materials to mark more than 5,000 tons of functional plastics every year and inks uh, in excess of 10 tons every year that is for marking security products. So it's unbelievable that this could be done in a small facility yes. <laughs> that we have yeah. here at 28 uh, Roger Crescent. So all thanks to our partners that kind of help us with some of the handling. But we want to build Nanolumi close to A-Star, NUS, this ecosystem to be a high rate of innovation facility where we can do the science, do the innovation here under one roof, 
and decide whether we want to do contract manufacturing or build everything under one roof. So that is a later question to be answered, depending on the capital, depending on the type of business. Yes. Yeah. You talked a little bit about your applications. Do you have any off-the-shelf products or is kind of everything kind of delivered fit for purpose for that customer? Mm. Uh, yes, great. Uh, so for our anti-counterfeit uh, technology, we almost always will customize for the company for their unique signature, but leveraging on our overall system level. Yes. So that is bespoke and unique for the customers. Yes. For our bioimaging product, we do have several products that are for researchers that are listed on our website, Luminocell, as well as non-exclusively distributed by Merck Millipore. You can find them on Sigma Eldridge. So they are the cell trackers and the vascular trackers. We are having more products coming out soon. So we hope that this will help researchers, as I shared earlier on, to illuminate biology and speed up their discovery. Um, so those are standard products. Uh, but if there is customized requests to change, for example, certain spectra property or certain surface properties, just ring us up. We are happy to have that conversation yeah. and uh, discuss if we can do something like that. Okay, fantastic. Um, a little bit forward-looking. How do you scale? Let's say 10x, 100x beyond. Two different ways to scale, right? Linear growth, you just more resources, like, like you said, more resources, more capacity, just more acceptance of your product, and then nonlinear growth, where, yeah, you, you see big multipliers coming out of your efforts. Mm. Um, so I think when I think about scale, there is two parts of scale that uh, we need to tackle as a business. One is how do you sell faster, right? Like, how do you get the word out there to scale, to have that pool from the customer? But you can have that. But if you do not have the materials or the product, you can't scale your product, you're, you're, you are in trouble as well. Yes. But if you have your product, but you can't sell, you're in trouble as well, right? So this is always a conundrum where you are like pulling, right, on both sides. So almost this two has to run in parallel. I think the fortunate thing about for us is materials-led products or solutions are very painful at the start in order to figure out how to all the tweaks, all the failed experiments, all the failed products at the start. But once you get it, then your next challenge is how do you make a lot of it in a repeated fashion, right? Uh, so for us, we have a few programs that we are already at this stage. We can actually make a lot of it in a very consistent manner. That is a little bit, readiness level is a lot higher. And then now it's like, the scale problem become, how do you get it out there? And so this could be, again, I would say one of the key mantra of NanoLumi is partnership. So scaling the business, you go distributors, you go partners, right? Strategic partners. For scaling the material side, you work with technology partners or even contract manufacturers. So this two really reduces the burden and speed up that process. So I think we continue, we'll push on our partnership models to address both sides of the scale, uh, scaling problem. And materials, once you hit scale, the nice things is, they always say it's, uh, yeah, I don't want to use the term printing money, but it's, uh, it's nice, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a nice place to be in and it's highly protected once you can get the materials right. Okay. Yeah. Just curious, this isn't in our notes, but do you have any, let's say, moonshot ideas for NanoLumi? You talked a little bit about Skunk Works, but let's say not, not near-term Skunk Works, any like, you know, super dream of materials or application spaces you could see? Mm, mm. Um, it's moonshot, so I need to think a little bit. <laughs> I need to travel to the moon and back. I think not so much of a moonshot idea, but if we really want to have, to put Singapore on a map, right? We need to develop something that is a product or solution that is more complex. So complexity means you need different people coming together or different companies coming together to build that. So, so I would say my hope is we are playing a small part here. We're already doing some integration, we're doing some materials, uh, but we're hoping, right? Uh, perhaps one day there would be very sophisticated product that has, of course, sophistication should have purpose to be sophisticated, not just for the purpose of being so sophisticated. To, to address, right, the, the um, big societal problems. 
So I said, one of the areas that is uh, always at the back of my mind is, can we use nanomaterials to help solve healthcare problems? Whether is it on precision diagnostics or whether is it on precision surgery, therapeutics, etc. Uh, but we can't do that alone. Yeah. We are making a lot of the materials. We are good at materials. We can engineer it, but we need the clinicians. We need the therapeutics. We need the biologists. We need the instrument makers, right? So it could be a robotic surgery arm. It could be advanced optics in order to see. It could be proteins, antibodies that need to be carefully designed for tumor targeting or therapies. So that would be a great, great, great outcome if that could happen. Right? I think everybody can resonate when we talk about saving lives and better quality of lives Yeah, as a product. right? So, so there's two products I like. Right? Yeah. Cleaner environment, which is my first love, PhotoVortex, which I mentioned. And then now we help to enhance trust through product authentication. And if we can also help have better quality of life, giving people a longer lifespan to spend with their loved ones, to achieve their dreams, uh, through uh, materials innovation, partnering with uh, a bunch of uh, people, that would be great. So uh, I, think, yeah. I think Singapore, we have that fertile ground for that. So I would love to see more of that happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, we definitely have the pieces and to come together piecewise for yeah, precision health, precision medicine, kind of with, yeah, nanoluminescent materials, right? We need to see. Yeah. We, we need to see, and that, that helps a lot. Yeah. Maybe pull back a little bit in time now. Where do you see the company, let's say, in three years, and then maybe beyond that? I think in the next three or 10 years, we continue to execute our vision and mission. So to really bring advanced materials into integrative products. So I think that will not change. With regards to that, and in terms of our vision is to really bring materials to help society have the fullest nature through the speed of light, which is a bit of a twist of word because we make materials that emit light and we like to innovate quick. I think that will not change three or ten years. But what I hope to see is I have three young kids, so maybe by the tenth year, they can tell their friends that hey, this is done by my Danny's <laughs> company, right? So, so, you know, it could be a B2B thing, right? But, yeah. but it is so, it's everywhere, right? That you start to be able to say, oh, is there, right? it's in your, it's in your consumer goods, in your shoe tags for authentication, in yeah. your medicine box, or hopefully not needed, but, uh, you know, therapeutics and all, right? So, so, so that, that, that would be nice. If, uh, so we continue to execute our mission to bring advanced luminescence material into integrative solution. Uh, but uh, I think what would be different is probably three to 10 years, we start to see more and more adoption and Nanolumi could be market leader in a few applications that we are embarking. Okay, fantastic. Um, like you said, um, you're now five plus years into life as a co-founder. Although, like you said, you were pseudo co-founder, act, acting as a co-founder. Pretending to be a co-founder. Pretending co -founder. to be a co-founder <laughs> prior without the risk, without the stress. Yeah. What's going well? And you'll say, what do you think could have gone better, COVID aside? Mm. So I think what has really went well for us is, despite surviving through COVID as a company, we and the companies probably will have a lot more tribulations to come, mm. like all startup company. So five years is actually not a long time for advanced materials. Yeah. But five years is a long time for a lot of investors. Uh, but if you look at the trajectory of, breakthrough advanced material, it's, it's long. Like it almost take 10 years. Like if we look at uh, bigger corporates that are well-known, whether is it the uh, 3Ms, Ivonic, uh, BSF of the world, I don't know, 10 years is probably the horizon for disruptive materials to even see the light of the day. So don't expect any revenue for the first <laughs> 10 years. Uh, but I can't say that to our investors. <laughs> so uh, it's difficult to find investors that are willing to invest like that. So these days, so I think I think what went well is really the, the culture. So we have established a culture to attract people that is willing to take the hardship in this part of the startup life, which I, which I've explained is relatively still early. We always joke startup life is like dog years, one year equal to seven. So since I've been working in a startup for 15 years, I can say I have more than 100 <laughs> years of dog equivalent or startup experience. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah, so so I think what hasn't gone better, I think like all startup entrepreneurs, you always want to be faster, 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 right? But everything always takes longer than it is. Yeah. Okay. What advice would you give someone then who's contemplating looking to be a co-founder, either maybe from an entrepreneurial side like you or from your, you know, co-founders from science, technology, I have this and I want to find a partner to to bring it to market. <laughs> wow. So this is almost like a crystal ball. Huh? If I look back, right? And what advice would I give myself or someone, right? Six yeah. years or five years ago. So there's a saying in, in, in Chinese, uh, uh, So what it means is like, even real gold, you can't buy, if only I know. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't even buy that, right? So what would I say? I think like, like what I just said, right? Everything is going to take longer than you expect. Uh, but you need to have that optimism. You need to maintain that grit as a startup founder to take that roller coaster ride. So strap in and make sure you're ready. And everything is going to take longer than you expect, right? So strap in and get ready for the ride. Uh, okay. But if you're not ready, don't jump into the seat. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Observe first. Observe, observe first. <laughs> yeah. Observe first. I, yeah. I like. See that. how much screams are there uh, <laughs> down the roller coaster ride. Then you decide. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, anything else you want to mention or, or plug before we wrap up? Uh, follow us on LinkedIn if you are interested to find out what's brewing in the company. I think I being in One North and One North Story is really to try to bring the community and bring stories together. Uh, I think we certainly could help each other more in the local ecosystem, whether sharing experiences, sharing resources, or just or even developing projects together. So Nanolumi loves partnership. We're very friendly on that. It's always open innovation. So if there are partners that wants to collaborate, have great ideas, please talk to us. We love to build. And I think the collective strength is always better. Okay, great. Thanks. So, so you mentioned LinkedIn. That's the best way for people to connect? Probably. Our website needs to be updated. <laughs> so, so don't believe everything on the website. Uh, we, need, we are in the process of doing a facelift. So I think uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place. Okay, great. Well, thanks, thanks for your time today, Jax. Yep. Thanks, Ruben. Yeah, thanks for having me. And with that, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help to grow the show by sharing with a friend or colleague. Please also hit like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in Singapore together.